So one of my children recently took their first online college class last semester. And my wife and I were a little shocked when we got her report card at the end of the semester. I just gave it away. It wasn't Naomi. Sorry. And Sarah's not even in here to defend herself. I promise I'm going to be kind and this is going to end well for her. <laughs> but we got this report card. And I guess there's no mystery when you have a three-year-old and a 17-year-old which daughter is taking the college class. But we got her report card and we were a little shocked because usually she brings home some really good grades. Usually it's the best of the bunch. So I was looking over this report card and I got, I, I'm reading through it and I see A, 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 A. And then I get to this online college class and it's got this really, really bad grade on it. And I'm thinking, okay, what happened? And I begin talking to her about it and she tells me, well, I did all the work. I did all the reading, I turned in all the assignments, I took notes, I took the practice quizzes, I did everything, but I had trouble with every test and quiz that came up. I did really, really bad on all of them, and she told me like midway through the semester, I just kind of threw in the towel because I couldn't seem to do well on them no matter how hard I tried. And we talked with her a lot trying to discern exactly when things went wrong, and we couldn't really pinpoint it. So as good, loving, encouraging parents, we made her take the class again this semester. And we followed her a lot more closely this time. We made sure she was doing the reading, that she was taking notes. Her online textbook even had practice quizzes in it. And we're like, Sarah, you've got to take these. We want to see that you're taking them and that you're passing them. And she was, and she was doing all these things. So we were shocked when she took the first quiz and she got a really bad grade on it as well. And we're like, what is going on? Where are we missing things? And Ashley, my wife, she sat down with her and just went through everything. She was like, show me everything that you've been doing for this class each week. So maybe we can figure out what's going on and what you're missing. And she begins going through stuff and looking with her online at this class. And she asked, did you watch the lectures? She says, no. I thought they'd be the same as the textbook. And we thought, well, there's the problem. So she missed out on these lectures. And I even viewed some of them to see what they would like. like. I wanted to make sure they were going to help her. And they were great. They were fantastic. There were hours of material there from experts, not just the college professor, who is an expert, by the way, but other experts in the field talking about the history that she was learning about. And this history class that she's taking goes all the way to present day. So there was even news clips and live videos and all of these things inserted throughout those lectures so that she could get a better understanding of the material. So she missed out on this visual example. And as a result, she didn't do well in the class. Now, John writes to us today and he says, you have a visual example. What God is teaching you, what he wants you to learn about love, you have an example of. You can learn what he wants you to about love by looking to this example. So he commands us to love one another, but he points us to this perfect, this ultimate example of Jesus Christ. And he says, out of that should flow your love for one another. And he goes so far as to say, our love for one another will demonstrate that we have faith in Christ. He tells us to love because we've been loved. Now, John talks a whole lot about love. If you're familiar with the book, this is actually his third 
extended talk about love. And if you go through the rest of chapter 4, you'll see it continues. He talks a lot about love. So it begs the question, why is love such an important part of the Christian life? Well, the first reason we see is that love is commanded. Look with me at verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So he begins speaking and he tells us that we are commanded by the source of love to love one another. And this is something we're commanded to do repeatedly. But when John talks about love, he always goes back to the source. And he does so in a subtle way as we begin looking at this verse. He says, beloved. Literally what this term means is those that have been loved. Those who have experienced divine love. So he says, those of you all that have experienced divine love, here's what you're to do. You're to love one another. He always goes back to the source. You have experienced divine love, therefore love one another. And he actually gives us this simple command three times in this verse. If you go through the section, he uses the word love in some form 15 times. So before we dive into it, I think it's really important to talk about a good definition of love. Now, I hope that as we go through the text, we will see this definition further clarified and reinforced. But with so much cultural confusion about what love is, we have to ask, what kind of love is John talking about here? Well, the love he's talking about here is a relentless commitment to the good of another person, regardless of the cost. This is the love that serves, it sacrifices, it never stops. It is forgiving, it's gracious, it's merciful, and it's given to those who are in need of love, not necessarily to those who are easy to love. This is a godly love. This is how God loves us. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that this is an old command, and John has already talked about this. This goes way back to Leviticus, where Moses writes that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Matter of fact, Jesus picks up on this when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he says, in a second, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, on this rest all the law and prophets. He says, the whole of the Old Testament writing can be summed up into love God and to love others. So this is a very familiar concept. But John wants us to understand that now we have a new perspective on it. Now we have seen what love clearly looks like. Matter of fact, Jesus says this himself. as he's Right after he washes the disciples' feet and before he goes to be crucified, he tells the disciples, you are to love one another just as I have loved you. So we as believers, we have this old command, but we have this new, this clearer, this better perspective of what it means to obey this. It's to love like Christ has loved us. But John doesn't go far away from the source. He starts with beloved. He speaks to those who have been divinely loved. And now he comes right back. He gives this command and he goes right back to the source. And he says that love is from God. He wants us to understand that God is the source of love, that God has always been loving. If you're going to know what love is like, you must look to him. And this goes way back. Even before we were created, 
God existed in perfect love. If we look back at the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all perfectly loved one another. And John, as we go throughout this section on love, he's very, very concerned with getting us to understand that. He wants to show us how each member of the Trinity is involved in loving us. How the Father loves us, how the Son loves us, how the Holy Spirit loves us. They're involved in loving us, and they're not just involved in loving us, but enabling us to love one another. And he says, if you want to know what love is like, you're going to have to know the source. So he makes a simple point that I was reminded of a few weeks ago. You can't go fishing without getting wet. Now, I was out a few weeks ago uh, on a Saturday, musky fishing with my brother and one of our friends and my son. And we had four of us in a little 17-foot aluminum boat. And if you know anything about musky fishing, you use seven to eight-foot rods, big giant reels, and you throw baits that are about a foot long. And I noticed that morning, it was a cloudy morning, a lot like today, except it wasn't raining. It was one of the few cool Saturdays that we had had. That's why we went. And as we were casting these baits, we were slinging enough water on each other that I stopped at one point and said, is it raining? Now, Austin quickly rebuked me and said, you idiot, it's from the bait you're throwing. And I got to thinking about it. I don't know that I've ever been in a boat and not gotten wet. Maybe that just says something about my coordination. Maybe it says something about my stupidity. I'm not sure. But if you all are around water, you're familiar with this. John, I'm sure when he goes sailing, I bet he gets wet. It's almost inevitable. I know when Pastor Jeremy goes kayaking, I am certain that he gets wet. If you're around a source of water, a body of water, you're going to get wet. You can't go to the beach without getting wet. I stepped out this morning hoping to stay dry as I let the dog outside. I did not succeed. I got wet because it's raining. You get close to the source of water, to a body of water, you're going to get wet. And John is telling us the exact same thing about love. If you go to the source of love, you're going to experience love. And matter of fact, it's going to be so lavishly poured out on you that you're going to be soaked in it. You're going to be filled up with it. So much so that when you step out and come in contact with other people, they're going to come in contact with love as well. That's the picture that he presents us with of love. And he always, as he gives us these commands, he tells us to go to the source. And he says that our love displays that we are connected to the source. It displays our faith. Look at what he says next. Last half of verse 7. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Our love for others, it displays our faith in Christ. He uses this term born, and he's talking about those who have experienced spiritual birth, those who have been saved, those who have experienced the new birth in Christ and become children of God. And then he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And when he talks about knows here, he's talking an intimate, personal relationship. He says, this is an evidence that you know the source of love that you love one another, that you've come in contact with him, that he's caused you to be born again. It's an evidence of that. It's one of the purposes of John's writing. He says in 
chapter 5, verse 13, that he writes so that we can know that we have eternal life. He wants us to be assured of that. He said, if you're looking for evidence that you've been made new, that you've been born again, that you've come in contact with the source of love, examine your love life and see if you have love for others. He says it's a display of our faith. Because we have experienced the love of Christ, we love others. Now, as I was reading through this text this week, this can be a little bit challenging when you come to this verse. I told Pastor Jeremy as I met with him this week that I've been convicted. I realized that I'm not very loving. So if you're like me, what do you do? If you realize that you don't have a little bit, that you don't have very much love, that your love is little, that it's small. Well, notice what John doesn't say. He doesn't say love more, love more, love more. He doesn't say that at all. He actually goes back to the source. Matter of fact, he speaks to everyone in this room with the same answer. If you're here and you think, wow, I've got it all together. I'm really good at loving. You might even think you're so loving that you don't even need Jesus. John would say, no, judge yourself by the source. You're not loving like he is. Matter of fact, if you broke any of the Ten Commandments, you don't love like God loves. Jesus says they're all summarized in the act of love. But he also speaks to people like me who don't have very much love. And he says, you need the source. You need to go to the source. The solution for you isn't to love more, it's to go to the source. And you might be here and you think, well, I don't have any love at all. I don't have any love for the church. I don't have any love for Jesus. I don't have any love for others. The solution isn't love more, love more, love more. It's to go to the source. And that's exactly what John does in the next verse. Look me at verse 9. He says, in this, is, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So love has been shown to us. We've seen this ultimate example of love in Christ. He uses the word manifest here. The idea of manifest is something that's made visible, that's made plain. It's something that has been shown to us, something that has appeared. And he says that Jesus has been sent to do that, to manifest, to show, to reveal the love of God to us. This term sent, this is the same word that the New Testament uses for apostles, those that Jesus sent out on a mission. That's the meaning of this word. It's those that are sent out on a mission. And what was Christ's mission? It was a mission to love the world. And when we think about applying this text, we've got to take note of that. Because so far, John is speaking to the beloved, those who've experienced God's love, and he's telling them to love one another. But notice that he's not saying to limit our love to those inside the church walls. No, he's saying if we're going to be like Christ, we will love the world. He's saying show the love of Christ to everyone, especially to believers. But notice also... When we talk about God's love, we, see, we always see it in action. God doesn't just come to us and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, believe me, trust me. I love you. He doesn't do that at all. Matter of fact, he does just the opposite. He steps in and he radically intervenes. He gives us this real life 
example of love in his son. He doesn't just say that he loves us. He does something about it. It's important for us to know because our love must demonstrate itself in action. It's not enough for us to say, yeah, we love people. Of course I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course I love my neighbor. Of course I love them. It's not enough to say that. Our love has to demonstrate itself in action. And notice, Jesus is sent on this rescue mission. It's a rescue mission that he's sent on. He's sent so that we might live. The idea is so that we can have spiritual life, so that we can have eternal life. He's sent on a mission so that we can live. It's a rescue mission. Now, men, I think it's really important that we take note of how Christ loves us. Because often we think of love and we think it's a feeling, it's emotion. If we're downright honest, sometimes we will say it's a little bit feminine. That's something women do. But notice how the Bible is describing Jesus' love for us here. He is sent on a mission to save us. This is a rescue mission. Lives are at stake. Now that's not a, that might have some feeling and emotion involved in it, but that is action. That's a manly love. As a matter of fact, we admire this. If you think about your favorite manly movie, I guarantee it involves somebody rescuing someone's life. I was shocked the other day at a movie that I found this in. Brian had been on to me for several weeks now to watch a scary movie with him, and I'm not a fan of horror movies. I don't like that genre. But he kept pressuring me, and I found one that I thought maybe I could tolerate watching. It was A Quiet Place. Now, by the way, if you're really a huge fan of this and you're going to go watch this movie, I don't think anybody that hasn't seen it that really wants to. I mean, it's out on Redbox now and it's been out for several weeks. But anyways, I'm going to spoil it for you, so this might be a good time to just like plug your ears and hum Amazing Grace if that's really going to upset you. <laughs> but in this movie, John Krasinski is trying to save his family basically from these aliens that have invaded. I told you I didn't like this genre. It's kind of far-fetched. Um, but they hunt you by sound. So they're constantly going around trying to not make noise. Well, as you can imagine, he's a father of two kids. That doesn't work well at all. And he gets to this point where he has to rescue his children. He goes on a rescue mission to save them. And what happens is it ends up costing him his life. Now, I saw that, and suddenly my perspective on this movie changed. I thought, man, this is just a dumb alien movie. To Wow. That has a really good theme. I like this. I didn't know I could like this kind of movie. <laughs> because I think as men, we desire to love like that and to be loved like that. And that is how Christ loves us. He sends us on these rescue. He, he loves us by coming to rescue us. It's a rescue mission. And then he sends us out to do the same. And that is how we should view things like evangelism. We should, we should view it as a rescue mission. That is how we should view missions. That's what we call it, missions. It is a rescue mission. Lives are at stake. There are people who desperately need the gospel in order to live. That's how we should view things like foster, foster care. We should view it as a rescue mission. 
We have seen this kind of love. That's the kind of love that we have experienced. Jesus has shown up to rescue us, to give us new life. And it's all out of love. Love just, this whole gospel story is just infused with love. The Father sends the Son out of love. Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life out of love. Out of love for us, he goes to the cross and dies. And in love, he is raised. The story is saturated with love. Now, as you're reading through this, these verses in 1 John, like you should be hearing John 3.16 just echoing in your head. The similarities are striking. Where we're told, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John tells us, this is how Jesus loved you. This is how you have seen love. But he doesn't just say it once. Notice he comes back and he comes full circle and he repeats himself. Verse 10, he says, in this is love, not that you have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Again, he wants to reiterate. Saying it once wasn't enough for us to get it. He says it again. You have seen the perfect example of love in Christ. And he uses this big church word, propitiation. The idea is an atoning sacrifice. This is a means by which sin is covered and remitted. It's a means by which sin is forgiven. So what happens when John uses this term propitiation? He's saying, here's what happened with Jesus. He took God's full wrath so that you could be forgiven. He satisfied the wrath of God so that you could have life. And we're very familiar with this concept. Matter of fact, we sing about it all the time. One of my favorite songs that we sing here is Before the Throne of God Above, and it talks about propitiation. It says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's what propitiation means. The sinless Savior Christ dies in our place. He takes the penalty for our sin, the full wrath of God, so that we could have life. So that when God looks upon us, he could be satisfied. So we could be born again as his children, as John has already pointed out. We could be sons and daughters that he is well pleased with. Jesus takes the wrath of God for our sin, for us. And John wants us to see, this is what love looks like. He says, if you want to see an example, look to Jesus. If you're here today and you're searching for love, and in a room this size, I am sure that somebody is. If you're searching for love, John's saying, go to the source. Look to Jesus. He has loved you perfectly. If you're looking for forgiveness, if you need your sins forgiven, if you're overwhelmed with grief, go to Jesus. You're going to find the love and forgiveness that you're searching for in him. See, Jesus in love... He offers us forgiveness, and in doing that, he satisfies our deepest need. That's what love does. Love isn't just a rescue mission. It also forgives, and it seeks to meet the need of others. 
Now, I told you all as I was reading through this text, I realized that I was really a jerk and I'm pretty unloving. I got to the point this week where we were all in the van together after I'd been yelling at the kids. (laughs) And I had to just apologize to them and say, you all need to forgive me. We have been together for five days. You all know how it is. You all that have, a, have kids and you know how breaks are. You often need a break after the break. <laughs> but I had been yelling all week and I realized, man, I'm getting ready to preach on love and I have been a jerk all week. So I asked them to forgive me. And in doing that, they were given the opportunity to practice love. That is what love does. It forgives. It doesn't keep a record of wrong. But notice also, love meets and satisfies needs. Now, many of you all know over the past four years that our son Brian has battled cancer, uh, lymphoma, twice. And every time I talk about it, I want to be sure to say he's doing well and he's healthy and he's in remission. But this has been a struggle for us. There have been times when we were in real need. And we have seen the church time and time again step up and love us and satisfy our needs. And I couldn't even begin to list all the examples of that, but one comes to mind. Uh, Dan Robertson showed up all summer and mowed our yard last summer. When you say, well, why is that significant? Well, we were gone. We spent all of June and July at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. We weren't even at home. And Dan came up to me and said, what do you need? And I said, well, I, don't, I don't even know what we need. He said, is anybody mowing your grass? I said, no, they're not. He said, I'll be there. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And it met and it satisfied a real need that we had. That's what love does is it satisfies needs. But there's a catch to it. First off, in order to love like that, you've got to know God. You've got to know the source of love, but you also have to know others. You can't just show up on a Sunday morning and be acquainted with people's needs. You've got to be involved. You've got to be plugged in. And there's plenty of avenues in our church to do that, whether it's BFG or the women's ministry or the men's ministry. Get involved in those. Get plugged in so you can get to know people, so you can know their needs, so that you can love them like Christ does. And I would also make a side note that those are avenues in which you can experience love. You might be in a situation like my wife and I were, like our family was, as Brad... Brian was battling cancer where you desperately needed to be loved. Those are avenues where you can let people know that. And they can meet and satisfy those needs. So if you're here and you feel like nobody loves me and you desperately want that, get involved. Get plugged in. People will get to know you and they will love on you. So John establishes this gospel foundation for love. He says, if you're going to love, you've got to know the source of love. You've got to see that ultimate example of love in Christ. It's not about you loving more. It's about understanding what Jesus has done for you. So after he establishes that foundation, he comes full circle to talk about his original commandment. He says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. And he switches his word order there, and I think it's very significant. He says, we have clearly seen that love is from God. It's been demonstrated to us clearly through Christ. And since he has loved us that way, we must love others. Since God has shown us this great love, we are to model what we have seen. God, this ultimate example here again is commanding us to love one another. 
So what does this look like? Well, we've talked about love being a rescue mission, but I think it's also expressed in just simple acts of service to those who are in need. One of the most loving and encouraging things I have seen in a long time was a few weeks ago when the hurricane hit us. I'm not sure how we got hit by a hurricane. That's why I live in Kentucky, so I don't have to worry about hurricanes. But if you all were here a few Sundays ago, you remember that. There was a torrential rain. We all came in soaked. And I noticed some love going on in those moments. Uh, John Martin was just drenched, like up to his knees, wet when he came to sit down on the front row. And I believe he was so wet he even had to change shirts. Well, what was he doing? He was out helping women and children get inside so that they didn't get soaked. And that really impacted me. I've been, part, I've been a part of some churches where a deacon would not get off the front row in his suit and get wet for anything. And here John Martin is just dripping, soaking wet. Why would he do that? Because there was a need. He saw a need and he jumped in there to meet it. And it was just a simple act of love. That's how Jesus loves us. Yeah, he goes to the cross for us in this big, profound, grand act of love, but sometimes it's in the simple acts of service that we see his love. Remember, when he commands us to love one another with this new kind of love he's shown us, what's he just done? He's washed the disciples' feet. A dirty, menial task that no one wanted to do. Jesus steps up and does it. That's how we show love. So it might be something as simple as the students in Veritas going to pick up trash on the side of the road. That is something that needs done. That's something nobody wants to do. Love steps up and does that. And what does that show our community while we're out in our Ashland t-shirts doing that? It shows them that we love them and that we care about them. Maybe it's something as simple as rerouting your course to take the scenic route after reality check lets out. Because you volunteered to be a chaperone for this event. They need those desperately. They're hard to come by. And you're driving kids all through Lancaster and everywhere else because somebody important was at Eastern yesterday. And you're staying up late and you're giving up sleep and you're letting them trash your house. Why? Because students need to hear about the love of Christ. See, often love expresses itself in just these simple acts of service where there's a need And we just step up and meet it. Even if it's a hard job, even if it's a dirty job, even if it's a menial task that no one else wants to do. That is what love does. So why? Why would we do these kinds of tasks that nobody else wants to do? Well, Jesus says in doing them, we're going to demonstrate that we are his disciples. In John 13, 35, he says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, that love, it's supposed to display our faith in Christ and it's supposed to point others to Christ. We're to display what we've been shown so that others might come to know Christ. Look at what he says in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Our love for others displays that we have seen the love of Christ. He, said, he uses this word abide and it means to dwell in. He's saying 
that you can be assured that God abides in you, that you're saved. He's, going, he's referencing the test that he talked about earlier. If you have love for one another, again, if you're connected to the source, you're going to be like the source. You're going to be what the source is. So you can rest assured that you've experienced that if you're loving others. But he goes on to say, and his love is perfected in us. Now, the term perfection, it has the idea of reaching a goal. See, when God loves us, he has a specific goal in mind, and that goal is that we might become like Christ. But it doesn't just stop there. He wants us to love one another. He wants to fill us with his love so that we can love others, so we can show that love to the world. If you notice, verse 12, it begins kind of strange. He says, no one has ever seen God. And then he goes on to talk about love. Well, what's the connection there? Well, think about what John is saying. This is really profound. He's saying no one has ever seen God. No one can behold him in all of his glory and all of his goodness. We would simply die. But you have seen love. You've seen perfect love displayed in Jesus Christ coming to die for your sins. And being raised, you have seen that love. But after Jesus was raised, he ascended into heaven. He's no longer present on this love or on this earth to perfectly manifest God's love to people. So how are people going to see God's love? Well, they're not going to see a visual example if we don't show it to them. That's the point John is making here. No one's ever seen God the perfect example we have seen has ascended into heaven. And the only, the only way people will see that visual example is if we love. And here's the truth of the matter is people need to see. People like my friend Chris. When I was working on my undergraduate work, I worked at a Valvoline Instant Oil Change, and I got to meet a guy named Chris. Now, to be transparent, Chris was pretty poor. He walked to work every day. And when he would get off work at Valvoline, he would walk to the Chick-fil-A, or the Chick-fil-A. It's my favorite chicken place that just came out. Uh, he would walk to the Kentucky Fried Chicken next door. I wish there was a Chick-fil-A next door when I worked there. He would walk to Kentucky Fried Chicken and begin a shift there and work there and work the night shift. And that's what he did over and over and over again. He didn't have a car. He walked. And I would always invite Chris to church, and I would always try to share the gospel with him, and he just always kind of brushed me off. And one Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving, I was talking to him about Thanksgiving and what his plans were. And he said, well, I'm going to go home and I'm going to microwave me a frozen dinner. I said, Chris, why don't you come eat with us? He said, no, no thanks. I was like, don't you have any family that will come get you? He was like, no, not really. I was like, okay. And Ashley and I went home and talked. I was like, what can we do? He doesn't want to come eat with us. His family's not going to come get him. Nobody needs to eat a microwave turkey dinner on Thanksgiving. And I was just like, let's just take him a plate. So that's what we did. After we got done eating, we took Chris a plate of food. And I'll never forget what happened. I knocked on his door, and he answered, and I just held the plate out. And I didn't come there to invite him to church or anything like that. I just didn't want the guy to eat microwave turkey. <laughs> and I held out that plate of food, didn't say a word, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, I'll be at church next Sunday. And he was. See, there are people out there that need to see. It is not enough to tell them over and over again that we love them, that Jesus loves them. There are people who need to see it. Now, I've got good news. I beat up on Sarah quite a bit at the opening illustration. 
But the good news is this. She started watching the lectures. And we were amazed at what happened. It was like magic. She began to do better in the class. Because seeing makes all the difference. 